0: Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett.
1: As we take time to remember all those who gave the ultimate sacrifice for their country, here are special encore episodes of All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. All filmed and recorded during our Battleship Forum event. You'll hear from Lieutenant Carrie Lorenz, the first female F-14 Tomcat pilot who landed an airplane on an aircraft carrier, talking fearless leadership. We'll be back with new live episodes of All Business on Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern time. Don't forget to tell a friend and don't forget to thank a veteran for their service.
2: Thank you so much for having me. Hopefully, everybody can can hear me okay. Uh, I'm used to flying a $45 million fighter jet, but I have a new camera, new microphone, all the new gizmos. Uh, But I'm super excited to be here with you in the time that we have available today. Uh, What I'd like to do is take a couple of minutes to kind of set a framework for the discussion that we're going to have, and then we'll have plenty of time for Q&A. But just so you know, for a little bit a, bit, a little bit of background on my part, in the years since I've left the Navy, uh, I've become a leadership consultant, strategic planning uh, professional, and do a ton of keynote speakers or keynote speeches. But what I've discovered in in that time working with Fortune one and Fortune five hundred companies is that I've been struck how over and over again that there are these parallels between. The world of aviation and the world of business, and in both we are having to really perform highly complex, uh, high pressure environment type of decisions, and operating in environments where there isn't a lot of uncertainty, a lot of certainty, and we are expected to bring a lot of teammates with us in this really rapidly changing environment. And no different than me, people are counting on you to really make those right moves and. Any misstep that you can make can really result in huge financial losses or even damage to your brand, your company, or your career. And there's no other parallel that's really asserted itself as strongly for me or more consistently as realizing that the people who are successful consistently are the ones that will step up and own the role as a fearless leader. So, no matter your situation, The number one way that you can ensure you are the best leader that you can be is to really build your ability to not only work through this fear uh, in these changing environments, but then take the next step to do what needs to be done in spite of that fear. So... When I think about what's happening right now, uh, and obviously there's a lot going on and we have a lot of different levels on the call today from even individual contributors to mid-level managers, directors, and clearly the C-suite, is how do you lead yourself first right now? How do you go beyond the impossible. How can you really push yourself um, to do what others, maybe even your teammates, your shareholders uh, think is truly impossible? Sometimes the goals that we're given and the plans that we have in place um, or the plans that maybe our boss or our boards have for us, uh, the market can dictate otherwise. And we have to be able to figure out how are we going to move forward in spite of what can feel like some really serious constraints and limitations right now. But I'd suggest to you that right now, more than ever, is really a call for each and every one of us to really stand up and lead fearlessly. So this is going to be today really an invitation to take some of the principles used by naval aviators, flying on and off of aircraft carriers and flying worldwide, and take these principles and apply them To your leadership journey uh, and take them to really build your ability and your teammates' ability to work through fear and do what needs to be done in spite of that fear. Now, the good news is is right now, uh, you don't have to predict what is going to happen in the future. And quite frankly, uh, we can't predict what's going to happen in the future. However, what you do have the capacity and the capability to do right now is to make sure that you're stepping up and doing everything you can to build your ability to build a future and something that you can get your arms around. Now, what's fascinating from the environment that I worked in, and, and I'm just going to take you right into kind of the, the workings of the aircraft carrier. That Because getting to this point, regardless of, of whether you're a fighter pilot, a helicopter pilot, or you're, you're a personnel who's working shipboard, we all hopefully bring with us the capacity to really be able to fl- be flexible and adapt and overcome any scenario that we're put into. And when you're operating on this aircraft carrier, every aircraft carrier has about 5,000 people on board. And every nine months, 50% of that population turns over. So if you extrapolate that, what does that mean? That means every 18 months, you have an entirely new crew trying to get a job done in what's known as the world's most dangerous industrial worksite. Now that's a pretty significant Leadership challenge, as you can imagine. And an extra layer of challenge to that is that the average age on an aircraft carrier is actually about 19 to 19 and a half years old. So if you're a parent of teenagers or even grown adults now, uh, you'll know that that in and of itself can be a challenge. So how do we do that? How do we do that operating in this really dynamic environment uh, with a changing demographic and people coming from all different socioeconomic backgrounds and very diverse experiences? Well, what we try to do, and, and no, you know, no, 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 functional area is necessarily perfect uh, every given day. But what we try to really do is focus and be very clear on what our purpose is. And every aircraft carrier has one purpose, and that is simply to support the safe launching and recovering of airplanes. So when we're doing this, having this clarity of that goal and that objective, regardless of whether you work in food services or in the hospital section, which is clearly very important right now, uh, in weapons or in intel, everything that we do threads to and ties back to our main purpose. And we want to really be able to anchor on that because when you can do that, it allows you to shake the fear in a very uncertain environment and win even with imperfect information. Now, this landscape, whether it's operating on the aircraft carrier or operating where you are right now, is clearly a changing environment. So our goal is going to be to be able to really leverage those skill sets that allow us to operate faster and be more agile. And in order to do that, we're going to have to really dig deep and be able to operate with a lot of courage and tenacity And always with integrity, because right now that speed and that flexibility, we don't have six months to introduce a new product or a new solution into the marketplace. Uh, we're, We're all having to change supply chain operations. We're having to figure out a different way to adapt and overcome to this new environment. And we only have a very small window to react right now. And we are going to be required to innovate and innovate very quickly or we will be done. So one of the ideas that I always share uh, with, with the executives that I coach and the teams that I'm, I'm, I'm helping build is this idea that 80% is good enough. Uh, the metric that we may have had in the past, we just need to think 80% is good enough and be able to adapt and adjust and know that we once we launch, we can figure it out. But we need to be able to back out of this a little bit. When you think about... What your purpose is. We also need to be able to understand and answer the question for ourselves right now, and this answer may be different than it was six months ago. But what does success look like for you? On the carrier, we always knew we had to operate with clarity of vision and purpose. And we knew what success looked like. We all understood what our roles were, and we each played a very significant part and making that a reality. So whether your team is launching airplanes or you're trying to develop uh, new pharma products or you're you're developing switches and feeds and routers and you work in the data or the IT space, as a leader right now, it's very important for you to step up and provide that vision for your teammates and your employees so that your team can still, even amidst this uncertainty, really um, stay high performers. So as leaders, intuitively, I think we know we need to be able to simplify the complex. And yet what happens right now is that we're all becoming very overwhelmed. So I want you to remember that your goal uh, today and every day moving forward should be to really keep it simple. Keep it simple and clarify the complex. You and your people and your teams are juggling so much information right now and even new skills. Like me, I'm working for home. I've got four kids now. Everybody's battling for Wi-Fi. They're on Zoom calls, school allergies. Somebody might walk in right now. I don't really know. But I'm having to navigate this new world of how do I also get my job done while I'm still navigating this whole other piece. So it adds even internal complexity and task overload or task saturation that I may not have had before. So we need to just be really clear as leaders to make sure that, that everybody's still really aligned on what our purpose is and what that vision is. Because right now, more so than any other time, if you're a team or you don't understand what that purpose is, if you don't know and can't write on a cocktail napkin what business you are in right now, The value you're trying to bring, uh, what it is you're trying to achieve, what it is you're trying to accomplish, that is going to become a problem as people start to become uh, pulled really thin, stretched really thin and, and pulled in different directions because those internal values should align with what your vision is. And if you don't have those values and that vision, it's going to drive behavior and decision-making that you may not have anticipated. And when people don't know their purpose, it gets harder to operate not only uh, with intent, but also with integrity. So what fearless leaders do, and especially in, uh, in really dynamic environments, is that day in and day out, we marshal our people And we make sure that we can lead them to a better place, a more valuable place than where they are right now. So how you show up personally matters. And it's no question, there's no question in my mind that that our work right now is, is really establishing that bold vision and that bold purpose so that we can enable and empower our teammates to still go out and do good work. So you are the catalyst right now. Uh, I call catalysts, catalysts are those people who can get everybody aligned really, really quickly so that you get to where you want to go faster. You are the catalyst to your team's performance. Again, whether you sit in the C-suite, at the director level, maybe you're a board member right now, or you're a manager trying to figure out how do you get all these pieces pulled together. So you have to have the courage to really step up And step into this role right now and the opportunity that presents itself right now, because we still need to be able to get results through our people. And in that, we need to also be able to maintain really cohesive teams and even still continue to build these teams, kind of as we're going down the runway here, building the airplane as we're going down the runway, moving forward, regardless of that uncertainty. So, when, when I say be the catalyst, you know, again, these are the people that, that can get people aligned really, really quickly. Because we want to be able to accelerate the reactions and the response of our teammates so that you can get to where you want to go faster. In my world, uh, you know, flying high-speed fighters, speed was life. In your world right now, the same thing applies because we want to be able to speed up that reaction between our talent uh, and our teammates and our employees and that external environment while we still are achieving our mission objective and and our purpose. So when you're thinking about this process, I just want you to think that, that you are the catalyst, but it's through teamwork and through through really focusing on that common goal. So in our cockpit, we wanted to win, and that's the fuel, regardless of who you're flying with, regardless of the color of the patch on your shoulder. It allows really common people like myself, I would say, uh, having that purpose and that that vision to really achieve uncommon results. And this is about uh, not just like casually committing or saying, yeah, I know what our purpose is. But this is actively going in pursuit of high performance. And it's having that purpose and that focus and that discipline that allows us to be successful regardless of that external marketplace. And one of the greatest challenges that I see right now, uh, just even in, in the last six weeks or so, is as I'm talking to my clients, as, as we're trying to figure out this new path forward is when you're operating in this really complex and ambiguous environment, what your role is going to be when you don't have all the answers. But it's it's getting clarity still with what we know right now, today. Getting clarity on that, understanding that 80% is good enough, and what will success look like? If you can answer that, if you can answer what success looks like, and you have the courage right now to move forward with an 80% good enough solution, then I think we pretty much have a shot at being able to figure this out. But the first thing we all have to realize is that each one of us has a very critical role, and understanding that it starts with you right? We're the ones who have to be accountable. We're the ones who have to own this role and wrap it all up with some enthusiasm. And I don't mean some like artificial pollyanna enthusiasm where all of a sudden you're all texting and you're like, wow. Hashtag, so glad to be here, right? Because because people will sniff through that right now, and and quite frankly, that's not helpful. But when I talk about being enthusiastic, when you as a leader can be enthusiastic, and you can you can set this vision and this big big audacious goal, still, it's like the afterburner for your team. And what's critical to also understand, especially when we're all physically separated is that having a positive attitude won't guarantee your success, but a negative attitude will kill your ability to adapt. So we have to be very careful about getting sucked into all the negativity because what that does is it paralyzes us, not only us, but it paralyzes our teams as well. So we have to make sure that we're bringing uh, a certain level of enthusiasm to this project and, and having trust and confidence that we're going to be able to figure it out, right? It's going to be okay. And this sense of purpose, there, there are three things that, that I would say are, are foot if you will, um, that I want you to think about. It's having this, this uh, really this purpose, and focus and discipline. Uh, These three things, with purpose, focus, and discipline, I think it's going to allow you, as long as you and your team know your purpose, to be able to continue to move that ball forward. A sense of purpose is actually, uh, research has shown that is the single most important factor in both your success and your team's success. So we need to be really clear on that. Who are you here for, right? Who, who are you here for? That purpose should really be your anchor. And then getting that message out in a really clear, simple way uh, will allow, really allow your teammates to adapt and overcome whatever is thrown in front of them. So establish that vision and align your group towards that common end state. When you do that, your goal is going to be able to drive out all that external noise and that external chatter. And again, you wrap all that up with some enthusiasm and and you're on your way to a much more successful place than where you are right now. One of the things that we used to always say when we flew fighters, we'd walk out to our airplanes and we'd just look at each other and just say, all right, remember, no matter what happens, if you lose sight, you lose the fight. If you lose sight of the most important work you should be doing right now, you are guaranteed to lose the fight doesn't matter how talented your teammates are doesn't matter how brilliant your strategic plan was 6 months ago if you lose sight of the most important work that you should be doing you are guaranteed to lose that that fight so we want to take out all of that noise right we want to even throttle back on what could have been and settle into what Will be. And this is where your words and your direction matter. We are talking bold, fearless leadership here, uh, where you understand that you each and every day have to show up as the change agent, as that catalyst. Now, where we can get tangled up in this right now with, with all of the unknowns is that as we have these expectations, and still hope for success is that when we're asking uh, our teammates and our people, you know, we're telling them just be innovative, go out there, do big things. We have to be really, I think, empathetic to the fact that that I think right now what I'm seeing, and I'd be interested to see what what even uh, some other folks are seeing right now, is that there are a lot of people teetering on burnout right now, and part of that actually stems from. It's not even the physical day-to-day that can be the challenging. It's if your teammates are not feeling supported or if you've told them in the past, I need you to be innovative, just go. And if they've made a mistake, now you slam down on them really hard or you, you cut them off at the knees. That can be really challenging that now, more so than ever before, we need people to push the envelope and be innovative and be bold and be brave. They're going to play it safe, right? And they're going to sit back because the fear of failure is actually one of the most universally paralyzing things that we all suffer from, fighter pilots included. And what happens is that when we are being pushed when we are scared. And when we become afraid to fail, we become paralyzed and we shrink and we play small. And unfortunately, most people and most organizations, if you will, underestimate their ability to recover from failure. And this leads to passing up really valuable opportunities and even looking for opportunities in places that you had not thought of before so i think as we're moving through this turn and this tumult it's really important for all of us to really uh take a breath and take a pause and understand that failure will happen it's what you do with it and how quickly you can learn from it that ultimately will determine not only how successful you are but whether or not your organization is going to be able to continue to really thrive and survive, and we learn this, um, hopefully young uh, in, in our purview in my career, you know this was this was a skill set that that either weeded us out or we were taught how to manage at a very early stage. Uh, those people who tended to be the most successful. We're always the ones who found ways to work together, whether that was at officer candidate school or during flight school. But it's having that ability to collaborate and collaborate differently today than maybe even you did yesterday or two weeks ago and being able to deal with that pressure and constantly learn from each other and not be paralyzed by each and every failure. That is the thing that will get you stuck and will make you irrelevant in a heartbeat because we need to be able to adapt and adjust and understand that things aren't going to always go as planned, right? Uh, But as long as you can come back stronger from that that incident having had a, have happened, uh, failure can be a super important tool and one that we can learn from. So what I'd like to ask people to consider moving forward and, and, and cognizant of the time, and I certainly want to uh, really uh, leave open some time for a Q and here, is this idea that we really have to focus on what I call our span of control and focusing on what matters. Remember, clear vision gives your people focus. And focus is power. When you dilute your focus, you dilute your power. So when people are getting pulled into the news and the media and going all these different, different directions, and what if, you we don't know what's going to happen to death, you're diluting your power. Focus is power. That clear purpose and what it is you're trying to achieve must come first so we all need to think about what are those things that right now are not contributing to our successful end state and get rid of them if it doesn't support your goals you have to get rid of it because right now task overload and task saturation the number one killer to your successful execution. Yes, we're having financial problems. Some people are in dramatically um, more dire circumstances than others, without a doubt. But it's that task overload and task saturation that will kill your ability to effectively execute right now. One of the big differentiators as Navy fighter pilots is that Navy fighter pilots The only fighter pilots in the world who will land uh, Navy and Marine Corps. Let me give a shout out for my Marine Corps brethren. We're the only fighter pilots who will land high speed fighters on and off of aircraft carriers at night. Nobody else in the world will do that. Um, These landings are essentially like controlled car crashes. So, as you can imagine, the risk level is very high. And that also means that we become very, very high level professional. Risk managers, because in this at night that touchdown that touchdown is enough to really destroy any other airplane uh, that's in any other military's inventory. So obviously there's a little bit of pressure. It's a very dynamic situation. Depending on where you're operating around the globe, you can go through some very very um, dynamic environments where oftentimes the back end of the aircraft carrier can be up and out of the water thirty five to forty feet. Now, that may not seem like a big deal for those of you who are not familiar with aviation, but when you're coming aboard an aircraft carrier going about 165 miles an hour and you only have about six to eight feet of clearance to begin with, you can imagine that if all of a sudden the back end of an aircraft carrier is up out of the water, 40 feet, you have yourself an angles problem. And the first time you see the back end of an aircraft carrier up and out of the water during the daytime, You'll find your Jesus, whatever that may be. It's a very humbling and very groundy moment. You see those big propellers up above the waterline and you're like, today's the day. Today's the day I'm gonna dive right into the grinder, sunny and 75. So imagine that at night. Now all of a sudden, you're a thousand miles away from shore. You can't control the environment. In my airplane, all I see is inky black, Right. If I'm on that flight deck, I'm one of those 19-year-olds, I can't even see my hand out in front of my face. It's that dark. Actually, the word dark doesn't even really describe it. You could try to replicate this by taking your bandana, your new mask, putting it above your eyes, going and sitting in your closet and spin around in your chair a couple of times and pretend like that's your office, Um, and it still wouldn't be that dark actually. But we have to figure out how to do this and do this with regularity. And you know, this isn't landing on 10,000 feet. This is landing on a, a 300 foot postage stamp in the dark that's bobbing and weaving and moving away from you. So it's definitely not for the faint of heart. And by all accounts and all research, uh, it's it's been indicated as one of the most harrowing maneuvers in all of military aviation. So I share this with you because you can imagine that lack of certainty and that anxiety and the tension and the fear that is palpable that every single carrier aviator has felt. We all have to be able to figure out how do we work through that fear every time so that we can get aboard that aircraft carrier safely. And it needs to be controlled. And there are times for people, and everybody responds differently physiologically to that fear. Some people taste it. Some people sweat. Some people are clean up on aisle five. Some people do that burp thing, right, where you have that half vomit, half burp coming up. But we all have to figure out how are we going to really work through that fear because those conditions... I mean, even feel horrific to the aviators who are watching it down on the deck. So you'd be hard pressed to find a carrier aviator whose whose palms haven't gotten sweaty, who haven't felt nauseous, who haven't hopefully maybe not felt like they were going to pass out, but have that numb feeling. But every single time you have to be able to dig deep and find that fear and that strength and that courage to go forward in spite of that fear. So this is where we are right now right? We are all sitting in a position, probably most of us, where we have to figure out how do we get our arms around this? How do we take this anxiety and flip it and take what can be a really paralyzing fear of failure and make it work for us? Turn it into something where we're feeling almost spirited and confident. And courage is, is really about having that feeling of being scared to death And going forward anyway, because the fear of failure, all of us who have been high performers or who have achieved a certain level of success have figured this out, but that fear of failure is okay. It's okay to feel that. Once you start kind of sitting back or crossing your arms, or you get complacent going, yeah, we're just going to wait and see what happens. That is what can kill you. Um, It's the complacency that is really like a ninja throat chop that sneaks up. You don't see it coming. You think you might be just taking a breath and it knocks you out of the game. So nobody gets, nobody gets aboard that aircraft carrier alone, right? It's not just some fancy fighter pilot feeling all confident. It takes an entire team. It takes everybody who has the capacity and the ability and Feels like they are supported and backed up to be able to feel that fear and step in and go for it anyway. So we want to be able to take ourselves right now in this environment from a position of fear to a position of power. And in order to really shrink that fear, to develop more trust in your and your teammates' ability to really handle and manage that fear we're going to have to figure out what we focus on, right? So figuring out what we can focus on and making sure that we do the work that matters most is going to be critical because it's in these little wins day-to-day, that 1% better, if you will, and that constantly learning from the setbacks. It's in the day-to-day, it's in the moments, not necessarily in the aggregate, that you're going to gain that strength and that courage, and that confidence to continue to move forward, to continue to stare fear and all of this marketplace uncertainty in the face and know that with really bold, fearless leadership that we are going to be able to get the job done and we can go for it anyway. So here's a little pro tip that I'll share with you uh, how we kind of blocked everything out in, in aviation. We had to figure out how you take a really complex environment and net it down to that most important work. And what most of the research shows us is that even though the majority of us think that we're really, really good multitaskers, we're not, and on a really good day, we might be able to do five things, plus or minus two. So when you think of that, think what you are feeling and what your teammates are feeling right now, that if on a good day, you could do five things multitasking. We are now down to three. So everything that we did, we netted down to three things. We tried to, sure, we memorize stuff. We had emergency procedures that we had to memorize. But when it came to the big buckets, we would always drop everything into three things. What are the three most important things? And on day one, Hopefully, we all have had the same great instructor. We were told that no matter what happens, we have to aviate, navigate, communicate. You know, the first thing we need to do is make sure we're flying that airplane because if we don't fly that airplane, if we don't keep it, you know, what I would say is jelly side up, then we're not gonna have a chance. The next thing we need to do is just figure out the direction we're headed, right? Just get the nose, nose pointed. Doesn't have to be perfect. We're not talking a six-month plan. We're not redoing a whole year plan. Let's just keep it going in the right direction. And then the third thing is we need to communicate. We need to be able to tell people, hey, this is what our plan is. Uh, This is where we think we're going. And this is how we think we're going to get things done. When we can do those three things, we're going to give not only ourselves a chance, but our team a chance at being successful as well. Because... At the end of the day, right now, um, the biggest risk that you can actually take is not taking a risk at all. If you look across every field and across every industry, so whether you're looking at Olympic athletes or top-level executives, high performers in any field, if you look across all those fields, the greatest leaders And the best performers will always be the ones and are always the ones who are willing to take the risks. They're the willing, they're the ones who are willing to fail the most and then learn from it. Now I know that sounds a little bit counterintuitive, maybe to some, but it's because they're taking those risks and because they have a straightforward process in place to learn from it, that they have more opportunities. And right now. That is what we all need to be doing. We need to figure out where are the opportunities, where are the gaps, where is a way that we can do work a little bit differently than how we did it before that in the end will allow us to still be successful. So it's about having this ability to, uh, and I've said it, and I'll hammer on it again and again until it's like a flannel onesie for you. It's about having this ability to feel the fear and go for it anyway. Yes, high performers feel doubt. Yes, they feel stress. Yes, they stumble. Yes, they have that vert coming up the back of their throat. Being fearless is not about winning or losing. It's about having that courage to step up and go for it. Because no different than you know flying in a 14, you know, leaving fearlessly is never going to be easy. And it's going to require nerves of steel. But I'm sure that when you look at this group, and we go into the breakouts in a little bit, there are some questions that you can be asking, and there's help available there. That if you have the courage to show up, if you have that courage to show up and go for it when everyone else, including the voice in your head, is telling you, oh, just like hold on for a second, pull back a little bit. And then you have that tenacity to keep going when you keep hitting those countless roadblocks. So maybe you're not getting the PPP you know, funding, and you're going to have to figure out a different way to figure it out, and you do that by operating and staying within integrity, boy, if you can honor your voice that tells you to go for it, and your instincts and your passions that's aligned with that purpose, you've got the ability to write your own story right now. So I would leave you with this idea that uh, don't wait for an invitation to make a difference. It's not coming. (laughs) Everybody else is too busy trying to figure out how they're going to figure it out to offer you a spot at the table or part of the team. So I would just, my, my, uh, I'd wrap this up with everything saying, you know, for the next 15 days, for the next 30 days, think about what's possible and ask not only yourself, but your team to do just one thing, one thing that scares them, one thing that's going to take them to be super courageous and be tenacious. Uh, Because if you can do just one thing to break a stasis, to break that settling in, I I promise you, you are going to inspire and empower everybody around you to step up and be bold and really uh, elevate their game as well.
0: C-Suite Radio.
1: Carrie, thank you so much. And by the way, Carrie, I want to, again, thank you for your service. Uh And, And I know your whole family has served. I know your brother... Your, your your father. I mean, you've got a, a family history there. And I just want to say thank you so much for that. I appreciate
2: I it. do. Yeah, absolutely. And, and even though uh, it would be, it, you know, of course, I'd have to give some Air Force folks a hard time if they were here. Uh, I have family that served in every single uh, service, and I'm proud of their service as well. And it was a privilege and an honor. And uh, I was super excited about the battleship forum because I'm from Wisconsin. Yeah. So,
1: Oh, even it would have been even better because we would have been, on know. The, again, one of the most decorated battleships in all history. First one to use, uh, you, th- you think about innovation, first one to use drones and video in warfare during Crazy. the Persian Gulf. Uh, it's just amazing. You know, Carrie, yesterday we had Admiral Cindy uh, Tybalt on yesterday. And, you know, I said to her, and... And I get to ask my question first. Then I've got other questions that people have been doing it. And it's going to be a direct one because you're a friend of mine. And I know I can ask you this direct, but I said to her, I said, you know, Cindy, I'm not going to ask you a question of what it's like to be a woman. Okay. In the military, which I'm sure is the question that everybody likes to go. So in the C-suite we kind of move past that, but I, but I made reference to it at the beginning, Vixen, you were named Vixen. Most people in the corporate world would have said, hey, if I had a nickname like that, you know, screw you, blah, blah, blah. You know, maybe there would have been lawsuits, all those kinds of things. How did you deal with that? You know, Uh, you just stepped into it or what? uh, Just the call sign part or just all of it? Well, I think both of it. But I think the the call signs is indicative of that a little bit. Right.
2: Sure. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So, so just to give a little bit of context for this, uh, to be clear, you don't get to pick your own call sign, yeah. or we'd have a thousand Mavs or <laughs> Thor or something super <laughs> cool. So you don't you don't get to pick your call sign. And if you push back against it, the the quicker everything shows up, uh, like the patches, the embroidered patches with your name, and stickers on your car or whatever. Uh, you know, I thought it was kind of funny in a way, and and I I only half joke. Sometimes I'm like, it only has one X, not two. So it gets through most spam filters. Um, But you either get one because of something really notable you did, something not so notable, or just rhymes with your last name. And it just so happened that for me, when I was going through flight school, and I had several along the way, and there were different pockets that would give you little different pet call signs. But that was kind of the one that stuck. But it was because whenever we went on detachment, uh, you would go somewhere, say it was Key West or El Centro for two or three weeks. And so you go to the same restaurants or the same bars. And everybody would think I was somebody's girlfriend. And, you know, after a couple of nights of going to the same bar, you know, somebody would be like, oh, I saw her talking to that guy, you know, for an hour last night, or I saw her talking to those two guys the other night. What's the deal with that? So, and and I wasn't anybody's girlfriend. I've been married for like 25 years now. So, but, but again, it's, you know, you get a call sign for a safety, uh, because you don't want, To have people saying your name on the radio. Um, and believe me, when it comes to politically correct call signs, mine was not that bad. (laughs) So I'm like, yeah, it's it's not that big of a deal. But um, you know, I think that when when you are one of not many, regardless of of the demographic, um you have to be able to have thick skin. You have to be able to let stuff roll off. Uh, I'm not saying That in a perfect world, that wouldn't be the case, but it is what it is. And I think that from a diversity and inclusion conversation, if you would, if you will, whether you're a female fighter pilot or a female engineer or a female in manufacturing or IT, uh, you know, the statistics show until you get to about that 23 to 24% saturation, you're always going to be known as a female pilot a female engineer, a female executive. So until we get that saturation, it it just is what it is. So I don't know any women who are in a more male dominated environment that say, Hey, you need to call me a female SE because that's no, they just want to be an engineer. Right. Well,
1: I I think it's interesting. What you're saying is, Fight the battles where the battles need to be fought, but where it needs, step into it and and go with it. That's the culture of which you stepped in, so you accept the culture. You change the culture from within and over a a long time period, not in a short time period. Right. Oh,
2: for sure. Yeah. And yeah. and all of that, I think, actually has to do with leadership, right? Because changing a culture, any culture, whether it's on an aircraft carrier, in an air wing, or in a, a fortune 10 company, changing culture is like turning an aircraft carrier. Yeah. It's very hard. And it's yeah. not something that I think sometimes leaders can get diluted, if you will, to the... This idea that uh, just because now all of a sudden they have, you know, a new mission statement or they've they've laid out their ten their ten things their ten values that it's going to change like that, and that's not the way it happens. You know, success in any sort of leadership or culture change uh, requires you to be very cognizant of how you show up every day, and then you reward the good behavior. And you censure the bad behavior. You, you have to call out what's tolerated and what's not. And, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of the environment, you know what? You, know, you can survive solo, but we have to win together. It's going to take an all hands on deck effort in every organization right now, culturally. And with that mindset. An inspiring a winning attitude that it's going to take every person on this team. I need your experience if you're from Nebraska. I need your experience if you're from Hawaii, if you're from the Philippines. And I need the experience of, of the person who grew up in Germany on my team. I need everybody's experience, that diversity of thought, so that we can generate the best ideas to solve the problems that we have right now.
1: Diversity and inclusion is not just about color or sex. It's a lot of other things that are part of it. And I love uh, Rachel Headley actually said, you got to get in the room first. So get in the room first. Once you're in the room, then you can start to change it, which is great."
0: C-Suite Radio.
1: A couple of questions that are coming forward. Uh, Greg Williams, who's uh, one of our thought council members and a real leader, he's the master negotiator. He said, he wanted to ask the question, when do you know when you have clarity? And what confirmation do you seek to validate it that's
2: Well that's question. a great question well part of that's going to definitely have to do with uh, obviously when when you're setting up uh, a per or when you understand what your purpose is and you've delineated that purpose we always took the time I call it and again three steps the model that I use is prepare perform prevail in the in the preparation phase we always take the time we do our research we do our planning and then we want to be able to brief our team so we always take the time to plan uh, what's that uh, Muhammad Ali quote that you know everybody has a plan until they get hit in the face um, <laughs> right however it's in the planning that uh, that you discover all the opportunities what the threats are what the resources are so you take that planning piece, you brief your team because the goal is to make the execution boring. And then the end on that, so you have prepare, perform, prevail, is the debrief part. And we always debriefed after every single flight. Why did we do that? We wanted to figure out what was working, what wasn't, and yeah. how can we fix it? It is in the debrief that you figure out whether people had clarity on whether they knew the mission objective, right? Yeah. So it's, it's not some super complex dashboard with all these weird metrics that just overwhelms everybody and it's in an Excel spreadsheet somewhere. It's actually in the doing and the rapid learning in the debrief. If your team right now, Greg, or other people you know on the call, if you are not debriefing right now, you are missing out on opportunities and the ability to learn faster or at least at pace with this changing environment. Because the debrief is what allows you to acknowledge the reality and then move forward faster. It's why you can do 80% is good enough. So that's how you figure out whether everybody else understands what the mission objective was, are we clear on our purpose, and how are we gonna move forward faster than anybody else in the marketplace
1: you know i i refer to those as promises in that you know by the way just so everybody knows after every one of these big calls like this our team debriefs the entire company comes together and we talk about it and usually we find where we didn't have the clarity is because we didn't have a promise in that prep work no one said Hey, are you the one that's responsible for this? And we knew that, but you'd find that again, that debrief, I right? that was great. That's David right. Beach, so then, one of our members, uh, oh, go ahead, Carrie. Also,
2: so real quick. So that's where when you're debriefing, you understand who didn't understand who is responsible right. for what. So this is not about trying to figure out who is right to be very
1: yeah. clear. Or well, who's about. wrong or where the blame. Right. Yeah.
2: This is not about debriefing is not about who's right. It's what's right. And then very quickly, you can put that lesson learned into the plan and the brief where you don't tell people how to do their jobs. You just say who is going to be responsible or accountable for what. And it's with that clarity that you can move farther faster than anybody else. So So
1: David, David Beach uh, picked up on one of your comments. He said speed of life. And then Mark Bounty, also one of our members, also said speed your friend. All right. I I love things going fast and, you know, action and so forth, but how do you get used to being able to handle that? So here you are flying at mock, whatever. Okay. I mean, like a bat out of hell coming, you know, coming at you in that F-14, how how do you handle it without being overwhelmed?
2: Well, so you, everybody doesn't all the time, right? Uh, there are plenty of examples and not to get too gruesome uh, on YouTube of, of, uh, Target fixation, right? What we call dying relaxed, where somebody gets so focused on a target run, you're in practice, you're going to drop something, and you run your airplane into the ground, right? It's usually what happens in the majority, actually, of aviation mishaps. I think about mm, 80 to 85% of all aviation mishaps, whether it's commercial or Military all involve a human factor. And it's understanding that, so we know that the number one threat to our ability to successfully fly is task overload. So we, we, train against it we train for it and we train to recognize the signs for example um three three easy ways that you can recognize even with your team you we all know the person who when they get overwhelmed they're like i've had it that's it they slam the door they hang up the phone they and the zoom call they're done and everyone else is like where'd they go right (laughs) so that's you have that group then you have other people that shut down right they're like nope I'm not going to look at my email anymore. I'm not going to respond to that seventh email that just came in because I know I have to do seven other things. They've shut down. The other people get super siloed where they're like, I'm just going to do this one thing. I'm going to do it really, really well. And But the rest of it kind of falls to the wayside. So it's understanding how you... We all have to be able to multitask, right? Um, And again, this is about what is in your span of control and understanding what is the most important thing. I'll bring so this goes back to three things, right? How do you prioritize? Aviate, navigate, communicate. When we're flying fighters, we're going up, you know, we're we're gonna land on that aircraft carrier at night. We've got our engines on fire, somebody else just crashed. When I'm a half a mile in close or quarter mile in. All I'm thinking is meatball lineup angle of attack. If my Rio bails out or somebody else crashes, I know that if I do these three things, three, not 12, that I will be able to land successfully. But all of that also comes into, you have to be able to prepare to get yourself to that point that you can intentionally focus. So for example, so I say, and I'm just going to grab this off my desk. I say three things, right? Here, here are my different three things. And I tell people that right now, always in the executives I coach, I'm like at the beginning of the day, write down your top three things, put it where you can see it. I put it on totally. the back of my phone, right? Yep. And it's training yourself intentionally to be able to swap, to be able to focus on what matters in the moment that then allows you to move at a much faster speed because you're, you're synthesizing or prioritizing the most important things. Like on, the, on an aircraft carrier, there are way more things that we're tasked with than we can actually get done. So we have to be able to instantly go back to, okay, does this thread to supporting the safe launching and recovering of airplanes? If it doesn't, do I have the bandwidth to do it right now? Yes or no? No? Okay, then it goes over here. Or it gives somebody the ability, your teammates, your employees, to push back and say, you said this wasn't a priority. If I do this, I can't do that. Which do you want me to do? Right? So we're constantly making those value judgments uh, at high rates of speed that we have to quickly analyze whether or not it supports our mission objective. And quite frankly, if it doesn't sometimes, We got to put it in the parking lot and let it go until later.
1: Well, speaking of of go, we got to let you go because we've got to get into our workshop. Everyone give it up for Carrie Lorenz, if you would. I thank you so Uh, much, all of you. you. That's fantastic. You, you you have just a w- wonderful program. Thanks so much, Kerry, for
0: joining us. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com.